a city bus driver was on his normal route and he stopped to pick up a passenger and it was a very large passenger, a six, eight man got on the bus and he was built like a statue. Just six, eight, like incredible athlete looking kind of guy. And he walks up onto the bus and looks at the driver and he says, Big John doesn't pay. And he proceeded to go to the back of the bus and sit down. Next day, same thing. Big John doesn't pay. So this goes on and goes on and goes on. And the, the driver is really bothered by this. He was only 5'3", and what's he going to do against Big John? So he decides, well, you know what? I'm going to equip myself to be able to confront Big John. So he starts taking self-defense classes, and he starts he joined the gym to start pumping iron to build his confidence. And sure enough, he got stronger over time, and his confidence began to swell. And, and so here's the day. Big John gets on, and Big John says, Big John doesn't pay. And the driver stood up and looked up at Big John right in the eyes, and he says, and why not? And Big John says, Big John has a bus pass. <laughs> I'm sure the driver would have appreciated that data before he signed up for the self-defense class and paid the money to join the gym, although it was good for him to pump some iron. But it would have been very considerate of Big John to uh, fill the bus driver in on that data. Uh, Big John had a bus pass, and that did entitle him to bypass the fare box, if you would, in the sense of paying. But what it did not entitle him to do was it didn't entitle him to be inconsiderate. It didn't come with that. We spent four weeks examining what it looks like to be under authority as spouses in the God-ordained institution of marriage. If you missed any of that as a spouse or not, let me encourage you to go back and listen. That will be really good for you and your spouse if you miss any of that, to listen to that and get everything that God had for us with respect to that. But listen, if a spouse is going to live out the things that we covered in those four weeks, this is very critical. They must be spiritually mature. You have to understand that marriage is for adults. Marriage is not for children. Marriage calls for spiritually mature adults. And if you're immature, marriage is only going to be uphill all the time. And the traits that we're going to see today are as basic as being considerate in informing the bus driver that you have a bus pass. <laughs> They're that basic. I continue to observe that churches like Midtown, that hold to a faith-based position on the scriptures and are fundamentally sound in doctrine, has and somehow, listen, continue to produce spiritually immature believers. It is amazing. It really is. 
And that gets manifested in times of disagreement. So you can have people in a church like this that can teach at a seminary level and obviously know the scriptures at that level, but are incapable of handling very basic disagreements. They become very heated and hostile and combative and explosive, but they have a scholarship level understanding of scripture. How does that happen? Sadly, our history is literate with believers at one another's throats and church splits that have been as intense as World War II. And and these are all people who know the scriptures so very well. What God has for us today, I promise you, it will be as challenging for us as it is simple. I promise you, we, could, we talked about Kid Town a moment ago. We could actually pull Kid Town into Life Fellowship today with the things that we're going to look at, and they would track just fine. They would not be lost. They could, they could follow along with us very well. And what we're going to see today is a clear portrait of maturity. What does it look like to be spiritually mature? And as this portrait becomes clear, the question that I want you to think on today, the question I want you to to entertain as we're walking through this is simply this. Is this me? Is this me? This portrait of maturity, as the Holy Spirit begins to paint it from the Word of God, are you looking in the mirror this morning? And saying, by the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit of God, yes, I, I, I think I'm, I'm looking at myself this morning. Praise the Lord. If not, then embrace what the Holy Spirit has to say to you from the Word of God. Don't make excuses. Don't point fingers. And say, okay, Lord, help me to become this person. We see it in verse 8, our examination begins. And this is the only verse that we can actually deal with today. It's loaded. (laughs) Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. So given that we have two and a half more chapters to go in 1 Peter, obviously this finally is not referring to the end of the book. This is ultimately a summary statement, if you would, or a conclusive statement on everything that we've been covering with respect to relationships, whether it be relationships with the government or relationships in the home, in the workplace. And so what we're getting here in verse 8 or beginning in verse 8 is applicable to husbands and wives and believers in general. Because all of us can't live in this life and we can't be a part of a local church without being in relationship one with another. And so the things that we're getting here are going to be critical to those relationships being to the glory of God. And like everything that we've seen up until this point, and, and, and you can just, uh, you, you can discern from what we've just read that it's very plain and straightforward. 
Right? There's nothing that says, well, I wonder what, what Peter meant here. It's very, very clear. But where we tend to struggle in being like this is when we are uncomfortable. That's when these things become very challenging. I don't like something. I don't agree with something. Something is uncomfortable. Something is, is unpleasing. And that's when we are tempted most to begin to devalue these things very quickly. Nope. <laughs> that's out the window right now. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to take a different approach. But our first observation is this. Mature believers covet unity. This is of great price to them. Verse 8, he says, Be ye all of one mind. Mature believers covet unity. Again, the climate historically during this time was very difficult. It was very hard. The believers that Peter was writing to were suffering greatly. They were under immense persecution. Their faith was being severely tested. So life was uncomfortable. The situations were not pleasant. And once again, that's when now, okay, I'm uncomfortable, so here we go. I'm not interested in being of one mind. I'm only interested in my mind and what I think. Okay? So what this tells us is, this is critical. Unity is achieved or compromised, listen, through our thinking. Not our feelings or circumstances. Unity is achieved or compromised through our thinking. For the immature, unity gets compromised because they believe that the prerequisite for unity is having everybody around them on their page. That is what unity looks like to them. So yes, we can have unity as long as you agree with me about everything. My former pastor, Dr. Jeff Adams, said something once, and, and it stayed with me. He said, the only person who sees everything the way that you do is you. Right? For the mature, one of the reasons that division and conflict is rare and so very low is that they aren't interested in getting everyone on their page. That's not important to them. They understand that there are at least two critical keys to being of one mind with others. This is something that the mature, they understand very well. And we find these things in Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to, here it is, think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. So you know what the first key is to being of one mind? And again, if we're going to achieve unity and, and that's going to come through our thinking, then 
we have to think lowly. We have to think lowly. Uh, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Someone who thinks more highly of themselves than they ought to, listen, is someone who does not think like a servant. They're not of lowliness of mind. They're very arrogant. They're conceited. They're high-minded, as the Bible says. Their pride and arrogance provoke them to think, listen, much higher of themselves and very low of others. You cannot achieve unity with a person like this. It's impossible. It's impossible. And it makes unity only uphill all the time, whether it be marriage, whether it be us together, whether it be the workplace, to thinking soberly. <laughs> but to think soberly, Paul said, we think soberly when our minds are under the influence of the Word of God. That's when we think soberly. <laughs> If our minds are not under the influence of the Word of God, we will not think soberly, we will think arrogantly, and we will think carnally, and we won't have unity. So let me ask you, how often, how often are you in conflict with your spouse? How often are you in conflict with other believers? If the answer is often, then listen. That means that someone is not thinking lowly and someone is not thinking soberly. What does the Bible say? There's something that comes by pride only. What is it? Only by pride cometh what? Contention. So the prerequisite for contention, listen, is not that someone disagrees with you or that you didn't get your way or that you don't agree with something or appreciate a decision. No, if we have contention, biblically, that means that someone's pride has been activated. That is the prerequisite for contention, is pride. Someone's not thinking lowly. Someone's not thinking soberly. Peter also said, having compassion one of another, mature believers convey sympathy. Sympathy is the ability to feel with others. That's sympathy. We are to rejoice with them that rejoice, but we're also to weep with them that weep, right? Okay, the first part of that we get. How hard is it to rejoice with those who rejoice? Not difficult at all, right? I mean, how hard is it to, you know, if, if you remember 2019, the Super Bowl, when, was it Damian Williams, the running back? Is that the running back? When he ran that touchdown in, I mean, how hard was it to rejoice with the people who were in the room with you or on the phone with you, <laughs> Right? How hard was that? You could hear people screaming all over Kansas City. It's when life goes dark 
When things get hard, it's weeping with them that weep that reveals if we are sympathetic or not. That's when we find out. Please, this is, this is very critical, okay? Very critical. The inability to sympathize with others is of concern because it is ungodly. It's ungodly. You say, okay, that's really heavy. Can you substantiate that biblically? Yes. Psalm 86, 15, but thou, O Lord, art a God full of what? Compassion. And gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. If God is full of compassion and we aren't, what does that say about us? It says that we are not like him. It says that we are ungodly. (laughs) Men, let me challenge you because I know how you think. At least I know how typically how men think. When we're talking about this and we're very quick to excuse ourselves from this because we perceive this whole thing of being able to feel with others, well, that's something that women do. That's, for, that's some emotional female thing that I'm excused from that. That would be the thinking and the speech of a man who is spiritually immature. Because we do not get more masculine than God the Father and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, yet both are compassionate. How about Mark 141? And Jesus moved with what? Compassion. Put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Let me just tell you another reason for concern regarding the inability to sympathize with others is because it is usually reflective of a hard heart. Male or female. (laughs) If you can't sympathize, if you can't feel with others, you are ungodly and most likely hard-hearted. Okay, once again, you're saying you're saying some very heavy things. Can you once again show me in Scripture this? Yes, look, one, there's many places. Mark 3, 1, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. So here's Jesus. He sees this man who has an issue. And he has compassion on him. The scribes and the Pharisees, on the other hand, could care less about this guy. Who cares? Let's see if Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. Let's see if he breaks the rules. That's not compassionate. Listen, there are a number of you who could teach what I'm teaching this morning, listen, without preparation. You could take this verse and you could stand up here for 40 minutes and you could teach this very well without any preparation. Praise God. 
But here's what I have come to know over the years in pastoral ministry. The ability for me to be able to feel with others in seasons where they are hurting is as valuable and as critical to them as what I'm doing right now. In those moments, they don't need a nice little outline and a sermonette from me. No, in those moments, they need me to be able to sit with them and show sympathy, to be able to weep with them and to be able to identify with their pain and suffering. That's critical. For those of you who are leading with me, this weighs as much with me as your ability to handle the scriptures. And I'm so thankful for my pastor, Sam Miles, who has modeled this for me so well. I have sat with Sam, who has sat with people, and I've watched Sam weep with them literally. I've watched Sam who, from Genesis to Revelation, I've never met anyone who knows the Bible that well, who understands how it all fits. Sometimes I think we sit under Sam and think he's a goofball. Uh, it's just some hick from down in the hills in Missouri. He doesn't know anything. Oh, my goodness, you have no idea. Sam is doctrinally brilliant. Oh, my goodness. And the thing, I mean, there, sometimes I'm in main service and I'm like, I need to go to LFBI again. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff that he's dropping in Genesis, I'm like, my goodness, this is crazy. It would take me months to study that out and come to that conclusion, right? Now, what follows makes perfect sense. Love as brethren. Mature believers cultivate fraternity. They cultivate fraternity. Love as brethren was translated from the Greek word Philadelphus, right? Which is very close to the word Philadelphia. And what does that word mean? Brotherly love. Remember what we saw in chapter 2 of 1 Peter in verse 17, where Peter said, love the brotherhood? Love as brethren means, listen, fond of brethren or fraternal. When we are fraternal, it means that we are brotherly. We're brotherly. And when we talk about cultivating fraternity, it means that, listen, we are actively working to develop relationships with brothers and sisters in this room in particular. We're fraternal. We're very intentional about this. And the, the mature are. Do you remember one of the things that Peter said we are to add to our faith? How about it? 2 Peter 1.5, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness, say it with me. Brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. If someone is growing spiritually, 
or if they are spiritually mature, they will cultivate fraternity. They will pursue brothers and sisters in the Lord that say, hey, I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to talk to you. I want to be around you. I'm fraternal. I wonder if any of this changes the perspective of some who are just short of being disgusted when they walk in this room and see us set up in tables. where we're going to actually talk to each other. We're actually going to spend time together. We're actually going to uh, show care and compassion and love and interest in one another. I wonder if any of this changes that for you. What a waste. I can't believe Kenny's going to force us to actually talk to each other and spend time together. Oh, I wish wish they would tell me when these Sundays are going to happen so I'm not here. That's the thinking of an immature person. Why do we do that? Why do we have those Sundays and why will we continue to have them? We want to cultivate fraternity. Let me be clear. Life fellowship is not the first service. It's not an extension of LFBI. And it's not Kenny's class. That's not, no, it's called life Fellowship. It's not built on me, around me, about me. It's not built around how dynamic any of us can teach and and open the word of God. You know, one of the things I have learned, and I'm so thankful that God has taught me this. I am immensely thankful. Do you understand that great churches, great ministries do not rise and fall on dynamic teaching? I have learned this, and I'm thankful. If great churches and great ministries, if they rose and fell on dynamic teachers and dynamic Bible preaching, then we wouldn't have the testimony of so many churches that had that that are as dead as the walls in this room are. So I have to ask you a very critical question. If I hit your button this morning about the whole table thing and us being fraternal, let me ask you, do you like the people in this room? (laughs) Do you like them? Love as brethren means fond of brethren. That means you like them. And when you like people, don't you want to be around them? Don't you want to talk with them? Don't you want to 
engage and interact with them? That's what people typically do when they like people. If your answer is no, I don't like them, I'm okay with intentionally timing it out so that when I get here, the preaching starts. I do that deliberately because I don't want to deal with that fraternal stuff. I love you, (laughs) but according to the word of God, you are spiritually immature. I need you to hear this, and I'm really at this point, I'm really addressing, starting with myself, I'm addressing those of us who have that fundamental KCBT background. I need you to hear this. One of the downfalls of Baptist fundamentalism was the absence of brotherly kindness and love. That is the truth. The culture in those churches consisted of believers who were mad about everything and mad at everyone. And they constantly reminded themselves and patted themselves on the back about how doctrinally right they were and how messed up everybody else was. This was weekly. And the minute that someone's dress wasn't long enough or a man's hair was a little bit too long, they went after them with force and passion. That is why several of those buildings have either been sold or the churches that for many years they despised are now occupying those buildings because they have no one left. And I'm not trying to be unloving and cold, but so many of those people died bitter, just bitter. And not to mention the hypocrisy that went on in those environments behind the curtain will make your stomach turn. The thousands of dollars that were being embezzled. Rampant adultery. Because wherever you have an emphasis on truth without love, Hypocrisy always follows. Peter continued, be pitiful. I think what we're seeing, right? We're seeing a beautiful portrait of Christ emerge. What we're also seeing is we're seeing a very clear portrait of a mature believer. So once again, the question, is it me? Is it me? To be pitiful is a form of compassion, but it means tenderhearted. It means tenderhearted, which is how it was translated in Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. So here we go. Mature believers care softly. They care softly. 
Uh, last year, I think it was last year, the whites and I, Jason and I took our wives out for Valentine's Day. We went to a very, very nice restaurant, and I probably had the best steak of my life. It was outstanding, right? I thought it was. I think I said that, right? It was the best steak I ever had. Did I say that? I thought I did. Okay. I remember that. Um, it was prepared exceptionally. It was. It was wonderful, as you can tell. I can keep talking about it. Let me tell you about it. It was seasoned perfectly. The butter was raining. Okay, it was really good. If you like steak, I would imagine that you're not fond of a tough one. I've never met anyone that says, man, I had a steak. It was amazing. It was the toughest thing I've ever put in my mouth. No. Anyone who raves about a good steak, they will always say it was what? Tender. I'm sorry? Melts in your mouth, right? Listen, tough hearts are like tough steaks. They are not very enjoyable to be around. Someone who's hard-hearted, tough-hearted, they're like a tough steak. I'll pass. Listen, mature believers are soft-hearted. That is how they deal with others. That is their approach. They're soft-hearted. They are godly because they are pitiful. Consider James 5.11. Behold, we can, we, sorry, behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord in terms of the end of when it all came to the end and how God dealt with Job. That the Lord is very, not just pitiful, but the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Well, I'm a man. I don't do that all that emotional stuff. Well, the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Sorry. God is full of compassion and he is very pitiful. This takes us back to brothers, uh, what we saw a few weeks ago and how we deal with our wives. Remember, we said three words. Remember what they were? Handle with care, but I was, great answer. I was hoping it would come from one of the guys, but, but thank you. Thank you. You nailed it. Handle with care. Be careful. That means that we care for them softly, but it won't stop there. It shapes our approach to how we deal with one another. Be careful. Now, before we close, it is critical to point out that if you don't covet unity, convey sympathy, cultivate fraternity, and care softly, it is because you're not tenderhearted. And God has a problem with that. Why? Because it is unlike him. And he wants you to be like him. But here's what it also means. It means that you don't carry on kindly. Uh, Peter also said, be courteous, which means friendly of mind or kind. 
right? Like Big John. Big John needed to be courteous. Good morning, Mr. Bus Driver. Here's my bus pass. That would have been appreciated. It is amazing how over the lifetime of any relationship, for sure marriage, how we cannot exercise courtesy, just common, basic courtesies. Right? I mean, there were some things early on in our marriage that I had to outgrow, like, you know, making sure that I was always accountable to my wife. It wasn't that I had anything to hide, but it was just that thing for me as a man. It's like, I don't have to tell you everything I'm doing, everywhere I'm going, and who I'm with, and all that. Come on. It's like, no. Be courteous. I don't shy away from that now, and I didn't do that very long, but I was just working through some maturity issues. I'm a man. I do, I do me. I don't have to answer anybody. Well, there isn't a time now where she doesn't know where I am, who I'm with, and what I'm doing. So, but um, I say, why are you asking me? What am I, on, on trial here? I'm on stand? Getting interrogated? Are you a lawyer I didn't know? <laughs> uh, this phrase, be courteous, it was translated uh, from a word that forms the base of our word philanthropic today. And to be philanthropic is to be benevolent or kind. If we revisit Ephesians 4.32, in addition to being tenderhearted, we are also told that we are to be what? Kind one to another. So mature believers, they carry on kindly. That's how they go about their business in dealing with others. One of the examinations I had to work through was, Lord, in my preaching sometimes, am I not courteous? I had a woman tell me once, and it was her way of giving me a critique. I had preached a message, and she came to me, and apparently she really liked it. But what she said was, she goes, the way that you preach that, the, the, the tone and the style and the delivery, I really like that. Do that every time. <laughs> oh, okay. Pastor? <laughs> Here's the reality. When I read this, I, I think there are three things that have to happen in preaching. And I think what a lot of people want is, no, I just want you to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. But there are two things that come before that. What are they? Reprove and rebuke. I don't, that's not an elective in, in preaching. I, I don't get to bypass those two because I don't want to step on any toes. You need to understand, when I'm preaching, I'm not trying to make friends or enemies. I'm only trying to please the Lord. That's it. The chips will fall where they fall. I want to be true to the text and honest on what the Holy Spirit has shown me to give you. And sometimes that's going to hurt. I promise you, it hurts me more because I have to spend a lot more time in it than you looking in the mirror of my life. When Jesus taught in the synagogue, how did he teach? As one having what? Authority. 
so many pastors and teachers, so-called pastors and teachers today, are nothing more than entertainers. Where they get in the pulpit and they tap dance and, oh, I don't want to say that. Oh, don't want to go there. Oop, definitely can't touch on that. That's not us. But before God, we got to be true to the book. My time is almost up, but here's what I want you to know. Every Sunday morning, and in our small group Bible studies, which you're going to be hearing more about shortly, we have an opportunity to covet unity, convey sympathy, cultivate fraternity, cure softly, and carry on kindly. If you get that life fellowship is not the first service, that it's not an extension of LFBI, and that it's not about Kenny Morgan, but it's about God's glory, our fellowship together, then I'm going to ask you, will you agree with God by committing to be this kind of believer in life fellowship? And if the answer is yes, would you circle it? Now, if, if you're like, ah, man, I don't do good with the whole pressure thing in front of everybody, okay, no problem. Just take it with you. If, listen, if there's something to pray about, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I think, to me, again, it was pretty clear. I think Kid Town could, could have hung out with us today. Would you agree? Uh, Gordon, right? Kid Town could have hung out today with us, right? Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> that was a tough day for me down there. So, all right, my time is up. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your word, just how simple and clear that it is. And Lord, my heart for life fellowship is that we would all circle yes, that we want to be this kind of believer for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.